Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're in a new series, Beloved Identity. This is part two of the Beloved Identity series. And last week, we were in the exact same passage that we're going to be in today. So this is something that I've never done before, and it's, it's going to be simple. We're going to preach the exact same verses. We're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective. And if you were here last week, we diagrammed this sentence that is this passage. Don't worry, that's, it was not as boring as it sounds. Um, we diagrammed it, and, and we came out with this beautiful truth. In Christ, God has blessed you. In the beloved, he's blessed you. And um, it's all because of his glory. In Christ, God has blessed you to the praise of his glory. And we're going to see here, as we look at this in part two, why Paul spends so much time on the richness of our identity in Christ. Paul is absolutely stoked in this passage, and as you go through this, I talked about this last week, it's one sentence, he throws grammar out the window, 202 straight words with no punctuation, because he can't get over of all the lavish gifts that God has poured out on us. So we're going to read these verses, and you're going to see here why Paul is so excited. As we read this, we're going to see a lot of in Christ, in him, in love, could you just say out loud with me every time you see one of those one of those phrases, in Christ, in him, or in love? Let's read starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. That's, that's, that's what we're going to go for. <laughs> <laughs> with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be home, holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There you go. How powerful, how beautiful is that passage of scripture. We are all longing for a sense of self-discovery. We all need that. We're all looking for that. And the truth of the matter is, it's vital to understand your own identity because if you don't know who you are, you can't do what you're meant to do. Even the world will tell you that. Everyone knows that is the case. But church, 
if you put your identity in anything else other than your beloved identity, your living hope, Jesus Christ, you are going to face pain, and you're not going to have the medication for it. You're going to be dealing with scenarios in your life where you need help, and you don't have the source of strength that you need. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And if you don't rest in that, if you don't embrace that identity, you're going to have fear and you're going to have doubt in the world that we live in today. So I have good news. Good news for lost people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and good news for those of us who already know Jesus as our Savior. This is a message that is for both of you. This is primarily written to a church so it's written to Christians. But if you're here today and you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in the right place. I'm really glad you're here. This is a safe space. None of us have it all figured out. We don't always know what we're doing, and we're not perfect by any means. What you're going to see today is the blessings that are in Jesus Christ, and you're going to see why you should turn to Jesus Christ. Confess of your sin, and by faith, turn to Jesus Christ. You're going to see that in this passage. For those of us who are already walking with Jesus and we know him as our Savior, this is really good news for you because this gives you your identity. This gives you the hope that you can hold on to in the hard times. It does all of that. I like to think of it this way. It's, it can take you from poolside to swimming with the dolphins. So let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know if any of you have ever gone on a vacation on a cruise. Anybody ever gone on a cruise? Right? You, don't, you don't visit family in this vacation. You actually go somewhere. You take a nice break on a cruise ship. Well, what do you like to do on the cruise? A lot of people, they like to just sit poolside. They kick up their feet. Maybe get a book out. You get a nice drink there, and you're just relaxing by the pool. It's great. For, for a lot of people, that's like their Christian life. It's like, I'm comfortable. I feel good. This is all I need. But your vacation can go from a 7 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10, if every once in a while you deboard the boat, you go to port, and you actually start exploring all the new things that you can do out there, right? You can go hiking on this exotic island. You could, you could go have like street tacos that you could never find in the upstate. You can experience all these things. You can go swim with the dolphins. You can do all these things once you get out of the friendly confines of, of the pool. And you just take that step of faith and you go out to this new unknown area. But that's how you experience it in full, the richnesses of, of what you have. You paid for that vacation. You may as well experience the whole thing. Too many Christians are just sitting back in what's comfortable, what feels good, and what they like. Some Christians are just like sick, and we're like stuck in our room. We're like in the infirmary. This is good news for all of you, okay? In this passage, Paul is going to show us the lavish gifts that we have in Christ. We're going to see what it means like to be in Christ, to be accepted in the beloved. And let me tell you, this is why Paul goes off and starts shouting in all caps, and he can't even use punctuation anymore, because sometimes good theology is just so good, the grammar can't contain it. And that's what has happened here in the original language. So you're either in Christ or you're not in Jesus Christ. And this message is about what it's like being in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to leave today without being in Christ. So please listen. See what you have. There's definitely pleasure in sin for a season. 
People who don't know Jesus, they can, they can live for years and be fine. They really can. You're experiencing what's called common grace. And it has nothing on saving grace. Saving grace is what too many Christians don't even think about. But it's the fullness of what we have been blessed with in the beloved to the praise of his glory. So you ready to really dive into this text? We got 10 points today. All right, 10 points today. We're going to go fast. Uh, it's going to be about the same time, but this is, this is no uh, small task. We're gonna, I could call this the 10 things that he loves about you, but I was thinking about that, and if anybody watched movies in like the late 90s, they could probably send you some weird vibes. So we're not going to call it the 10 things he loves about you. Instead, we'll say the 10 things that are true about the identity of the beloved. And this is Christmas morning. There's 10 presents wrapped under the tree, ready to go, and this is what we want to look at today. Number one, you are blessed with everything you need. That's verse three. Verse three, you are blessed with everything you need in Jesus Christ. It's a little vague, right? Every spiritual blessing? Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's not physical blessing, so <laughs> Jesus isn't promising you that BMW and that new iPhone. Okay, we're not talking about physical blessings, spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings, I don't know if you realize this, are better than physical blessings. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, things that are seen are temporal, things that are unseen are eternal. All right? We have every spiritual blessing that we need. Well, David, still, what does that mean? What are you talking about here? It's a peace, a sense of peace that passes understanding. It's a joy that's bigger than your circumstances. Everything that you need to live the life that God has called you to live is at your disposal. It's absolutely there. Christianity is not about getting rewarded for what I have done. This is not talking about rewards. Rewards is a whole other thing that's, that's completely icing on the cake. It's a bonus. That's another sermon for another day. We're talking about you already have received the blessings that you need spiritually to live your life for Jesus Christ. So Christianity is not about getting rewarded for what I have done. It's about getting blessed for what God has done. You see the difference there? That's our identity in Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom, the strength, the confidence, the ability to love, the ability to forgive. We have all of that in Christ. You may have heard this in history class, but, but after Pearl Harbor, Japanese Admiral Yamamoto, what did he say? Does anybody remember this quote? I'm afraid all we have done is awoken a sleeping giant, talking about America. All right? Christians, you are a giant in Christ. You have everything, spiritually speaking, that you could ever, ever want. It's already yours. It's at your disposal. In Christ, you don't have to doubt, you don't have to fear, you don't have to strive for these things that are already given to you. But we do that a lot of times. And I think the reason that we do is because, honestly, we don't fully believe this. We haven't fully embraced this, and we don't know this about ourselves. Why do we have so many sleeping giants in the church? Why are so many people just still kicking it on the boat and they haven't taken that step of faith and gotten out there and they're missing on swimming with the dolphins? I dare say it's because we have not lined up our identity 
with our true identity in Jesus Christ. We don't really fully realize who we are in Jesus Christ. God is not skimping out on you. He is not giving you the leftovers. This is not just common grace for us. We have every spiritually speaking thing that we need. It's like you have daddy's credit card, all right? And you can order Uber Eats or Hub City delivery anytime you want. It's already linked, just a couple swipes away. You have not because you ask not. That's the truth of who you are in Christ. In Christ, you are blessed with everything you need to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. That's number one. Here's number two. You were chosen in love for his glory. Look at verse four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, this is the longest point of the whole sermon, but I want to dive into this. Because this is too good to just skim over. It really is. You have been chosen. You are, if you were in Christ today, you are of the elect. Now, I know as soon as you start throwing that word out there, it gets some people uncomfortable. I, I understand that. I really do. I get why this is a hard, hard thing for some people to process. And there's a reason why brilliant theological minds have debated this, this exact verse and this point for centuries. This is not always easy to understand. Wait a minute. You're telling me God chose some. So if he chooses some, does that mean he doesn't choose others? I mean, right? I mean, we're all thinking that, right? Isn't that the question that we've all had to wrestle with at some point in time if you read these verses in Scripture? Sadly, people have problems with this, and I do want to be sensitive. It is a legitimate question, but it's only a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole story. The longer you look at God's sovereign election, truly the more comforting it is. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Most people think of election, if I can like just really be uh, silly for a second, most of us think of it like the Claw arcade game. We've all seen like Toy Story, right? You got like, you know, you're at the Pizza Planet, and there's a little green aliens in the Claw arcade game, and there's like, pick me, pick me, pick me, I want to be picked. That's what we think of when we think of like election a lot of times. It's like, that's the mindset. Of course, I want to be chosen. If you look at scripture, it's the exact opposite of that. What does the scripture say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. It's like, no, I don't want that. I want to live my life. I want to do it my way. Some people do that through being a religious good person, and they still don't want to give their life over to God. And they just want to look good. Some people do it by just saying, God, forget you. I'm going to live my way and do my own thing. But the truth of the matter is, we don't choose God. We are at enmity with him. We were enemies of God. We love him because he first loved us, okay? He chose us before the foundation of the world. We saw this a couple weeks ago in John 17. It's all over scripture. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. God is the initiator. So we're already here. We're talking about election. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to back off right now. Think about it this way. You really only have three options at the table. Either you choose your eternal destiny and your fate, Satan chooses it, or God chooses it. It's one of those three are going to make the choice. And if you know yourself like you should know yourself, you don't want to be the person making that choice. As a matter of fact, when we all sin, we've already made that choice. And if you want to go one step further, 
Dead people don't choose anything. And in our sin, we are dead. You don't want Satan anywhere near this choice. He hates you because you're made in the image of God. God is the one who does the choosing. Now, I know it does have, we're having a hard time processing this because, David, I thought I chose, and what if God's not choosing somebody else? Look, Romans 9 addresses this very exact point. Romans 9 talks about this. You can read this chapter on your own. We don't have time. We don't have like a thousand years to like parse every single last part of this. But this is what Romans 9 verse 14 says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You see, the question isn't why didn't God choose someone else? The question is, why did God choose anyone at all? We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all said, no, I don't want that. I'm going my way. We've all made the choice. But God loved us anyway. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He loved you. He chose you when you wanted nothing to do with him. And that's the comforting truth. God's choice is free. No one influenced God, and it's rooted in his faithfulness. You go back through the history, you trace the history of of this throughout the Bible. Every single time, starting with Abraham, God chose Abraham by grace. Abraham contributed nothing, just like we contribute nothing. And you know what? If, If it's like, hey, God chose me because I'm great. No, he chose you before the foundation of the world. You did nothing. You had nothing to do with it. It's all his sovereign choice. So it's comforting for me to think about the fact that this is beyond my ability to figure out. It really is. This is where it does get complicated and we don't have answers. We don't have answers to this. How does God choose some and still at the same time he says he died for the sins of the whole world? Because the Bible says both. The Bible says both. If I could wrap my mind around this and if you could wrap your mind around this, do you realize that we'd have a really big problem on our hands? If we could understand the sovereignty of God and remove the mystery from the equation, what would that mean? That means that our faith, our Christian religion could have been manufactured and created by man. We don't have this airtight faith that makes perfect sense to us because our God is beyond us. His ways are higher than our ways. So it's okay that I don't totally get it. It's okay that none of us can figure this out. How is Ephesians 1.4 true, and how is 1 Timothy 2.4 true? Because 1 Timothy 2.4 says he desires all men to be saved, to come before the knowledge of the truth. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Those two things on the surface in my finite human mind don't seem to quite add up. And that's okay, because God is bigger than me. God is greater than me, and it proves to me that this isn't a manufactured, man-made religion. Every other religion out there in this world has something to do with man doing good works to get to God. Biblical Christianity is the only religion that we can't wrap our minds around that says, I did nothing. He chose me for the foundation of the world. And at the same time, he still says, you must confess and you must believe. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, this is what Charles Spurgeon said. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. The great preacher from London, England, he said, I don't feel like I have a need to reconcile friends. 
God's sovereign election and man's free will, they blend together, they're in harmony with one another. Do we fully understand it? Of course not. Will we ever fully understand it? There's no way on earth. But it's God, and he chose you. And this is the really good news. This means that you can't sin too much to ever mess this up. You're never too far gone. There's never anything that you can do that will affect this. It's God's choice. He loves you, and he chose you, despite what you've done. No one is too far gone. No one is too far tainted. You have been drafted. You're on the team. And and the the beloved apostle John put it this way, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. There's perseverance there. I don't care if you go full Antonio Brown mode, you try to sabotage your way off the team, and you let's just ruin everything, and and you're awful and say, I don't want to be a part of this. God chose you. He loved you. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Isn't that good news? You see why I said this is comforting? It's not on us. God is the initiator. He's the one who loves you, and it's all him. I told you this was going to be the longest point. I had to get fired up on this one, but we're not going to worry about this. We're not going to debate this as a church. It's all true. Does, did God choose you? Yes. Did God still tell you to go out there and confess and repent and believe? Yes. Are you supposed to go out there and witness and compel other people to come? Of course. Yes, yes, yes. It's all true. And we can embrace that. In Christ, you were chosen to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. All right, now we've got to keep moving. Number three, we have another Christmas present under the tree. Number three, you were adopted into the family of the beloved. This is verses five and six. You were adopted into the family of the beloved. Good dads are few and far between. The majority of kids in the world today go to bed without a dad in their home. That's a sad reality that we live in. God is a good father. And this is a natural progression to being chosen. I mean, Julie and I, we love our kids. We have three kids. It's such a gift, such a blessing. But, you know, I didn't choose Beckham's personality. I didn't choose Paxton's uh, 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 hair color and his eyes. I didn't choose anything about my kids. They're a gift from God, and I love it. I, I just love every little thing about my kids, besides their sin nature. Um, but I didn't choose my kids. They came, they came to us. This is something that's different about adoption. It's that God knows the flaws. He knows where we're wrong. He knows where we're weak. And he chose us anyway. I love this. God knows where we're off. And he loved us anyway. And this is This is our beloved identity, that you have been chosen in him. God has done that for you. God has chosen you. God says, I want Mike. I want Evan. I want Jacob. He chose you. So we have to stop selling ourselves short. We have to deboard the cruise ship, and we can't think that, look, I need affection. I I I need someone else. I know there's people in here who maybe you don't even have a mom or a dad in your life. You're missing a parent. Maybe you have a distant father. Maybe you have a mother who's overly controlling and just overbearing and, and selfish in that way. You don't have to have 
that guy by your side. You don't have to have that extra girl. You don't have to have anything else relationally when you have a good father who has chosen and adopted you to be a part of his family. You're a son and a daughter. You didn't do anything to earn it. He just loved you. And this, this really works itself out two specific ways. Either we realize this and we become a spoiled brat. We become that adopted kid who has it all. I have been chosen. Who are you? Get away from me. You are second class, you Philistine. Or we understand, I've been chosen by God. He loves me. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't contribute one blessed thing to this. And now I'm grateful. Humility comes in. I can't believe Jesus died for me. God sacrificed his son for me so that this could all happen. And that's the truth of who we are in the beloved. There's a great picture that I saw of New Testament adoption. And I want to show it to you. This is a picture of New Testament adoption. We have John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office with his two kids, John Jr. and Caroline. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture before, but I love this because who is John F. Kennedy? Well, he was the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world in the early 1960s. Get the Secret Service outside. Uh, he's making the most powerful decisions. I mean, he's the president. You don't just walk into the Oval Office and start dancing around and clapping. Not anybody can do that, right? You're serious when you go in the Oval Office. You have business to attend to. It's the President of the United States. Get to the point. The only person who can do this and be themselves and just have a good time in the presence of the President are the President's kids. That's who we are in the Beloved. We have a Heavenly Father, and we have the freedom to be ourselves. We can rest in the personality that he gave us. We can clap our hands. We can dance for joy. We can live this life with freedom, not worrying about what other people think about us. Because we have God, our good heavenly father. That's the heart of the gospel. It's not behavior. It's adoption. It's adoption. Belonging comes first, and then the actions follow after that. Do you view God as a distant scorekeeper keeping track of all the rights and wrongs that you've done? Or do you view God as a dad and you enjoy his presence? Because that's who we have as a good father. In Christ, you were adopted in the family to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. Here's number four. You are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Verse 7 redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Redemption is a very old word. It means to buy out of slavery, to purchase someone out of slavery. And in the Bible, everyone who is not in Christ, everyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, we are told you're a slave to sin. You're not free like you think you would be. You're actually enslaved to your sinful passions. And that's what you live for. That's what drives you. Only in Jesus Christ do you have freedom. And Jesus died on the cross to purchase us out of slavery. Redemption. Many of you know this. Some of you may not know this. But our church had the opportunity to redeem a slave in Pakistan just last month. It was incredible. It was just unbelievable how God just put that on our, on our silver plate right in front of us. We raised $900 and we bought a man out of slavery. Let's look at a video of this because Aslam, our missionary who's going to be here in a couple weeks, is crazy, and he took a video of this, 
how this exchange went down. Here's the money that we gave as a church. Uh, just take a look. This is a picture of redemption. This is redemption happening before your eyes. This is in Pakistan. Yep. There's the owner. Count it one more time. I wouldn't want to be here in this place. And there's the man right there. He has a he has a wife, he has a child. He no longer works for that man. He's no longer enslaved to that man. He is now free. Our church got to do that. Can I get an amen? Another one? Yeah, think about that. We did that. There's more people in this house church in Pakistan who are in slavery. And, and Aslam is coming back here. He'll be here in a couple weeks. He's going to go to Pakistan by the end of this year again. We want to raise up some more money and free some more slaves. We want to redeem some more people. That's what we can do as a church. But that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He redeemed us. He forgave us. We're redeemed through the blood of Jesus to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. Number five, you are forgiven by grace. I told you we have to pick it up. There's so many Christmas presents under the tree here. I mean, we could spend so much time on all of these. But it's just, this is why Paul is rambling. This is why Paul is throwing commas out the window. It's like, I can't, I can't stop. You were forgiven by grace. Some people fear that they aren't forgiven. A lot of people do, actually. I did for a long time. When I was like eighth grade all the way up to like my summer before my senior year of high school, I doubted my salvation. I was worried about, am I really forgiven? I wrestled with that. I did not have assurance. That's a story for another day, but it all came down to this. Letting go of my actions and resting on God's actions. It wasn't on me anymore. God did this. He sent Jesus to die for me. God chose me. God called my name. I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. No one is forgiven because of what you do. Think about this. You're never forgiven because of what you do. You're forgiven because you have done something and someone else has to forgive you. Right? So you can't worry about being forgiven when you can't control it all. And it's in the hands of the Almighty God. He's the one who forgave you. We have fallen short of the glory of God but the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared, and that's what saved us. You are forgiven by grace, and we contributed nothing. He forgave you. That's something to get excited about. If you feel today like you can't forgive yourself, and you're always falling into the same sin, I can't stop overeating. I, I'm addicted to this. I can't stop looking at pornography. If you feel shame and guilt and you're having a really hard time processing that and getting over that and forgiving yourself from that, you have to read your Bible because you're not the one who has to forgive yourself. You've already been forgiven in the beloved. Jesus Christ died for you. God forgave you, and you have to realize that's now who you are. You're forgiven. You are redeemed. You are set free. So that doesn't define you anymore. Those pesky sins that weigh you down, don't let that be your identity. Because it's not. God looks at you when he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
you are forgiven to the praise of his glory according to the richness of his grace. What a lavish gift. Number six, you are lavished with grace. I've been saying the word lavish a lot today, and you can't say that word too much when you're talking about the grace of God, right? Remember the late, great Stuart Scott? What did he say on SportsCenter? I still remember this one. From the Department of Redundancy Department. Grace upon grace upon grace. It never ends. God shows us grace, and then he shows us more grace. It's who he is. I could have combined five and six into the same point, but Paul actually makes a distinction here. He emphasizes the grace upon grace. So that's what we're doing. You can't talk about grace enough. You can never put a cap on it. Romans 5.20 says, where sin did abound, grace all the more abounds. We have a cup that's overflowing. It's just pouring out the sides of the grace of God. We are forgiven. So, so when you realize how much grace you've been given, how can you actually respond to that? How can you live that out? Well, it means that you can forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven because God forgave you when you didn't deserve to be forgiven. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your finances. You can bless other people because God is so gracious. He has blessed you. That's how we were able to redeem a slave in Pakistan was because some people in our church said, I'm going to give above my tithe and I'm going to give to this missions project. Before we even really knew, is this really going to work? I had the same doubts in my mind. We did it, and look what happened. Grace upon grace, that's who God is. In Christ, you were lavished with grace to the praise of his glory, and I really can't say this enough. You say it with me? What a lavish gift. Number seven, you are known with a purpose. This is verse nine. You were created with a purpose, and what is that? Why were you created? To glorify God, which is to show God's glory, to show the world his truth. Every aspect of God's character is his glory, and that's why we were created, to show God's glory. And God has a unique plan for your life. Every single one of us in this room, young and old, boy and girl, rich and poor, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, your story has been uniquely crafted by God. He has a plan specifically for you. And next time you're in a situation where it hurts and you don't understand why God allowed that to happen, what is he doing? This doesn't make any sense to me. And which those are very real and those happen more often than we care to admit, right? In those situations, we have to remember this point. God has a unique plan specifically for you. And this earth is here today and gone tomorrow. It's a fleeting moment. It's a breath. It's, it just it vanishes. There's all of eternity waiting for us. That is on the horizon. And what we go through today teaches us how to rely on God, teaches us how to like find our strength in him. It changes who we are from the inside out. And even the painful things we go through, they can be to the glory of God. 
They can allow us to minister to other people. They can draw us closer to God. Those things that we walk through are part of his purpose and his plan for you. You are known. God sees you. He knows where you're at, and he has a purpose behind it. If this was, wasn't number seven stacked in this huge list of Christmas gifts, we could spend the rest of the time here. But I want you to just think about that throughout this week. God will use it for the praise of his glory. You have to know your beloved identity. And you don't have to hide under the pillow. It's like when you know this and when you grasp this part of your identity, it's like you've watched a scary movie and you're watching it now for the second time. Okay, let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, I don't really watch movies more than once personally unless it's a Christopher Nolan movie. If it's a Christopher Nolan movie, I'll watch it like a lot. But I don't really care for watching too many movies more than once. But Julie and I one time, we watched a scary movie. We had never seen it before. We were both freaking out. It was I'll date myself here, because I haven't watched a scary movie since this. It was What Lies Beneath. And we were just done. I mean, I was so worried. But if you've already seen that movie, and you're watching it a second time, even in the tense music scene, it's OK, because you know the script. You know what happens at the end. You know how this is going to end. And you realize, all right, they're not going to die right here. And it's a lot easier to stomach that the second time you watch it. In life, when you're going through these difficult seasons, you already have at your disposal Revelation 21. You can see the end game. The script is laid out before you. God has a plan. He will one day wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So if we're in Christ, in the beloved, we're a part of that. And we don't have to fear. You don't have to throw the pillow in front of your eyes when the tense music is going on. You can trust and obey him. In Christ, you are known with a purpose to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. Number eight, you are instrumental in God's ultimate plan. And this one is a seamless progression as well. You are a player to unite all things in heaven and in earth. What? Just little old me? I'm here in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I have a plan? I have a part to play in the ultimate plan? I mean, we're the, the cosmic redemption of the cosmos? That's us. He has called you. He has chosen you. He has gifted you. Remember, we talked about that. Every spiritual blessing. You have Batman's utility belt full of spiritual blessings. And you're not an agent of chaos anymore. You're an agent of redemption. And you have a ministry of reconciliation. I'll stop confusing and mixing my metaphors with Get Smart and Batman. You are, you are an agent of reconciliation. Do you choose to accept this mission? Forget that. You already have this mission. You don't have to choose to accept it. He chose you, and he gave it to you. It's yours. What are you going to do with it? Look at 2 Corinthians 5 for a quick second. 2 Corinthians 5. This is the mission and the ministry of reconciliation that we all have as we, are, as we are an instrument in God's ultimate plan. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. We'll start there. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in, that is 
In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There you go. It's right there. One day this present earth will burn with fire. It sounds scary, but right after that, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new, including the earth that he created. God made us in his image, and he put us in a garden. That was the beginning of his plan. Things went awry. You know, sin messed some stuff up for a while. But one day, God is going to bring everything full circle. He is going to restore all things. He is going to remove the veil of darkness that's over this present earth right now. And he uses us to be the light that makes that change. He will create a new heaven. We will have our own gifts and our abilities for all of eternity. This is, we can't even imagine how amazing this place will be. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In Christ, in the beloved, we have that coming. I can't believe this. In Christ, you are instrumental in God's ultimate plan to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. Number nine, you have an inheritance that's not of this earth. The kingdom of God. And you have already obtained it. Do you see? You see verses 11 and 12 there? You have obtained an inheritance. This isn't if grandma gets mad at you and writes you out of the will one day. No, it's, it, your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and it's coming your way. You have it already. It's already obtained. So you don't have to break your back for temporary riches that are here today and gone tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. As Jesus said, he has a place for you. You have a seat at the table. Going back to Revelation, if you want to look at the, the end game, the script that's written out for you. Revelation 19. Can we go there for a second? Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. This is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, also called the marriage feast. Everyone who is accepted in the beloved has a seat at this table. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The beginning of the new earth, to kick it all off, there's going to be a giant feast, grand party, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we have a seat at the table. Wow, let that one sink in. That is who you are in your identity in the beloved with Jesus Christ. In Christ, you have an inheritance that is not of this world to the praise of his glory. What a lavish gift. Here's the last one, number 10. 
you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We've talked about a lot of amazing things today, and this is the one that gets so overlooked. But the Holy Spirit is the glue that holds it all together. He's the wind in the sails. None of this would work without the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, if you want to look at verse 13 for a second in Ephesians 1, I know I've had you jump around here at the end, but back to verse verse 13 in Ephesians. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I've run into a lot of people in my life who believe in something called baptismal regeneration. They believe that you don't get the Holy Spirit until you get baptized. You may have run into those people. They're, they're out there. They're definitely out there. And they think, oh, yeah, salvation is one thing. And then to really be saved, you have to get baptized. Take them to this verse right here. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Is it by being baptized? What does verse 13 says? When you heard the word and you believed, before you even said a prayer, you received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that ends that debate once and for all. Don't ever confuse that. Don't turn baptism into a work. You were saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. But here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is the still small voice that brings peace and confidence and strength and wisdom. All of those spiritual blessings, they all work through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who moved in holy men to write down the words of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to the Father. Do we understand how that works? Of course not. We're never going to understand how that works. But the Holy Spirit is the one who moves in our hearts and draws us. The Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, your body is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He seals you with a stamp of adoption. Praise be to God. So to boil all this down to one simple truth today, who are you? What is your beloved identity? You are who God says you are. That's who you are. You don't have to strive and worry. You can set aside the guilt and the shame Deboard the comfortable confines of that boat. Get out there and experience the richness and the fullness of what you have in Christ. Live with a humble confidence that dances, that takes joy, that claps, that's carefree because you have a Father in heaven who loved you and chose you. If you are in Christ, stop chasing lesser things. Stop making your identity something else that's secondary to Jesus Christ. To the praise of his glory, live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing but the Holy Spirit. What a lavish gift. Let's stand and sing.